Welcome to the program on Chin Radio 97.9. It's our cross-cultural talk show on ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution. We are at 12.06. My co-host, uh, Ernie Tannis, is joining us via the telephone today because our program uh, this uh, afternoon was one that Ernie and I had uh, recorded a few days ago via the phone. And, uh, Ernie, we're going to learn an awful lot today. We are. One thing I want the listeners to learn about, too, is I'm talking to you from the REACH office. Our 25th anniversary Jubilee dinner is next Thursday night, and there's a very limited tickets left, 2366636. But we're reaching out also for ADR, which is a dignified resolution. And this topic today with Professor Yakov Rapkin with his current book on Jewish opposition to Zionism and Menachem Doam on his internationally acclaimed documentary, Hiding and Seeking, about going back to his homeland in Poland where... They were seeking out the Christians who protected his ancestors from the uh, uh, Nazis uh, uh, during the war and uh, who were hiding them. And he found that we're all one people under God and the uh, transcending everything. So the, the themes are, you know, the way we've talked, Gary, is safety and security and quality of life and dignity of life for all peoples. And in this kind of context with this very sensitive situation, it includes the safety, security, and quality of life for all Israelis, all Palestinians, all Arabs, Muslims, Jews, Christians, all peoples of the world. So these perspectives are meant to try to enhance and enrich that philosophy from their own experiences. Well, I know uh, in sitting with you in the studio a couple of days back when we recorded this, uh, I was uh, I was fascinated by... Uh, uh, by our guests and what they had to say, and I'm going to listen again. Like it's, you know, it's like a, get, giving a, getting an opportunity to hear the show all over again. Now that we are are going to play it back for our listeners this afternoon, and uh, I'll certainly enjoy uh, to, uh, enjoy hearing again what they had to say. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, uh, it was uh, certainly a learning experience for me, as each and every one of these programs is with you, Ernie Tannis. Yes, we learn how little we know, and it's really interesting because as you people will hear, we didn't know about the filmmaker till you know just turned out that he was in Montreal doing his film that night, and he took off for back to New York, and the professor took off to talk about his book overseas, so I haven't spoken to them since, but, uh, you know, it's been said and studied that it takes 50 times to hear something before people finally get it, so another 48 <laughs> times hearing this show is going to little sink in. Well, listen, <laughs> before, me. Ernie, before we go to the, uh, to the recorded interview, uh, once again, uh, remind me about this Reach Jubilee dinner next week, please. Yeah, it's the tw- Reach is an organization that was founded in 1981, and it's for quality of justice and education for people with disabilities. And believe it or not, it's our 25th year. Right. And it's uh, I'm honored to be the MC. I was asked to do that, and it's got a wonderful event. We're going to um, recognize people, thank people. And uh, it's going to be Thursday night, uh, June 15th at City Hall at 6 o'clock, and we're sold out, basically. But we found out the city, the city can add a few more seats, so if anyone's interested, 2366636, uh, it's going to be a wonderful, inspiring event. Ernie, thank you so much for spending uh, these few minutes with us on the phone prior to uh, today's recorded program, because I know... Uh, I don't know where you find the time of uh, in the day to, to get uh, to get stuff done that you have to get done. But uh, hats off to you, my friend, and uh, let's enjoy the program together. Amen. I'll see you next week. You will. Thank you. All right. This is Chin Radio ninety seven point nine, and uh, here is our program for today on alternative dispute resolution with our very special guests via the telephone. On the phone in Montreal 
is Professor Yakov Rapkin. Good morning, Professor Rapkin. Good morning. And also on the line with you, thanks to uh, your telling me that he happens to be in Montreal, where my, my mother was born. I love that city, is uh, Menachem Dom. Welcome, um, Mr. Dom, to uh, joining this show this morning. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Let me uh, introduce how I got to know Professor Rapkin, and then I'm going to talk to him about a fascinating book that um, he's written, his most recent book on Jewish opposition to Zionism. Uh, first, let me just give a little bit of a background. Uh, if you Google his name, you can read for a long time. He's got a, quite an accomplished history. He's taught contemporary Jewish history, Soviet history, and the history of science at the University of Montreal since 1973. And um, he has served as a visiting scholar at several universities, um, including Yale, John Hopkins, Hebrew and Tel Aviv, and many, many others in the Smithsonian. He's worked over three decades in the field of cultural and political history of science, his work on the history of science in Russia and the Soviet Union and the role of scientists in the collapse of the USR has made him a foremost expert in the field. He is consulted by many, many organizations, including our own Canadian government. Um, he's been a co-founder of many, many programs, including the Russian Jewish program at the Jewish Community Center in Montreal. And he has um, programs uh, that he's helped set up in Moscow. His publications are, are plentiful, has hundreds of articles, um, including the science between the superpowers, the interaction of scientific and Jewish cultures, and his most recent book, A Threat from Within, A Century of Jewish Opposition to Zionism, originally published in French. Um, it's in English, and I heard about him through the uh, different connections here in Ottawa on the multi-faith group, the Potluck for Peace, and Case Ganim, who's a regular listener to this show. And I went to your book launch, Professor Rapkin, and um, I was really fascinated, and maybe what I can ask you, because in today's contemporary world, with all the fast and vast media, we hear words like um, Zionism and Jewish and anti-Semite and, uh, and Israeli and so on, and people are trying to understand the news and all the different um, things that are going on in different parts of the world, in Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan, now in Canada recently, we hear about terrorism, and there's so much information, and I wonder if I could just start off by letting you shed a light on, on the background to your book. And I want to start with a quote from Charles Rayom from the Department of National Defense, Ottawa, at the back of your book. He says, this is a vitally important book that comes at the very time that the eternal Middle East question calls out for new approaches to diffuse the crisis. The greatest possible number of people should read this book without delay. Hopefully our readers, our listeners will follow that. Could I ask you then to take some time, Professor Rapkin, to talk about the background to this book? I know it's in Arabic. I gave one to my father-in-law. Um, and he's reading it, and he's finding some new things there. Please, would you give that background? Uh, well, the book is uh, helping people to understand uh, very often uh, obscured and confused terms like Judaism and Zionism, uh, Jewish people and Israeli people. Uh, and uh, the reason I wrote it is uh, that I thought that this confusion was not only intellectually problematic, but is also very dangerous. Uh, one example of that danger is that the state of Israel may be, the, I think, is the only state that is referred to um, uh, as Jewish state. Even the Vatican is not called the Catholic state. And this appellation necessarily associates all Jews of the world with the state of Israel. Uh, this is not only imprecise, but also maybe dangerous, as we have seen in many countries, that Jews were attacked 
because someone had grievances about dispossession of Palestinians in Israel or uh, the Israeli army attack on some uh, Arab town in the West Bank. Uh, we've seen that in France and Belgium, even here in Canada. And I think uh, it was very important to delineate and to show that Zionism is a political project that has its history. And this project in particular has been opposed by the vast majority of religious Jewish authorities from the very beginning. There were a few exceptions, which I do mention in my book, but the large majority of opinion makers in the Jewish world, so to speak, condemned the project. And the reason they condemned the project is that, in their view, it was transforming the religious Torah-based identity of the Jew into a national identity uh, very similar to the identity of a Ukrainian or a Lithuanian who uh, spoke a certain language, who lived in a certain territory, but who didn't have political independence. So what was happening is that the, uh, the, the project uh, helped those Jews who wanted to identify with the new nation, so to speak, with the new Jewish nation, which was no longer defined in terms of Torah and in terms of commandments, but in terms of uh, their belonging to a land and a language and a flag, except that at the beginning of Zionism there was no land and there was no language. So the challenge of the Zionists was to create a new language, which they did. It's a modern Hebrew based on rabbinical and local Hebrew, they created also a land. Uh, the early Zionists believed that Palestine was a land without a people for a people without a land. Uh, so that's how the settlement of Palestine began. Uh, and uh, that settlement provoked a rather negative reaction from Palestinian Jews who lived there and who resented the uh, arrival of Zionist settlers from from Russia in the beginning of the 20th century, in fact, a lot more than the Arabs did. Uh, for for the Palestinian Jews who lived there and who were all pious and very observant religious people, the arrival of young socialists in shorts uh, who didn't recognize any authority of the Torah and uh, who in their everyday life uh, went well beyond the limits of what Judaism allows, uh, were an, an anathema to them, and they were concerned that their life in, in Palestine, in the Holy Land, would be in danger, because these people will create havoc, and among other things, because of the political nature of their project and their desire to have political power, that might uh, undermine the otherwise harmonious relations that existed between Palestinian Jews and Palestinian Christians and, Ar and Muslims. So uh, for all of these reasons, uh, the uh, religious authorities of the time strongly opposed the Zionist project, and I explain why, on, on what basis, uh, what is the Talmudic basis for that, what is the ideological basis. So uh, my book, in fact, is an explanation for those who want to understand why would Jews be opposed to Zionism? Well, that's um, um, quite a introduction to a very contemporary and complex subject, and I 
find that the listeners are going to be really intrigued by all the things you've said. And I'm wondering, in the very short time we have to take on a very important subject, if I can ask you two or three questions. Um, one is um, the beginning of Zionism. The word Zion itself, I think, is the hill. Uh, some, In my limited research, some people go back to for centuries. Um, then you talk about its formulation at the late... Um, 20th, the 19th century. Um, so if I could ask you about the beginning of Zionism and its modern manifestation, and if I can couple that, Professor Rapkin, so you can join one to the other in terms of the heart of the matter. Um, in your book, I was fascinated to read some things, but one of the quotes is not to hasten redemption um, and the 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 different oaths of the uh, the true teaching about not forcing um, the acquisition of land. So I'm wondering if you can take us from the historical notions of the beginning of Zionism and into the heart of what does that mean not to hasten redemption, and then that could lead into a discussion where I like to bring in Mr. Baum about um, different forms of extremism and what the, the role of uh, education through filmmaking and so on. So if I can ask you those two questions, uh, Professor Rapkin, if you can elaborate on that for our listeners. Yeah. Um, Zionism is a political movement that emerged at the end of the 19th century. Uh, it uh, was part of many nationalist movements that were then uh, emerging in Europe for peoples who didn't have national independence and who wanted, who strived to, strove to have uh, a state for themselves. In the context of Europe, Jews were considered a religious minority rather than a national one. But what happened in the Russian Empire is that the secularization that swept over Europe in general, not necessarily over Jews, uh, affected Russian Jews to the effect that they developed a proto-national consciousness. And it is this awareness of themselves as a secular nation, like Ukrainians, Lithuanians, and Latvians, that enabled them to adhere to this new political project, which was based on a rather romantic interpretation of biblical history. Most Zionists who started the project were very far removed from any knowledge of Judaism or Jewish history. Uh, they had a very distant approach uh, to, Zion to Judaism, and that's what enabled them to develop a political uh, project uh, that resembled many national projects in Europe. Uh, a contemporary a colleague of mine in Israel summarized the attitude of the founders of Zionism in a very simple sentence. God doesn't exist, and he gave us this land. Uh, because for most Zionists, God did not exist. They were not observant. They, they wanted to, to free themselves from the yoke of Torah and the yoke of commandments. And, uh, but at the same time, romantically, they felt that their only title to the land is given in the Bible even though uh, this is a title that is very much conditional. So the, uh, one of the reasons that the rabbis opposed 
rather strenuously the uh, Zionist project is that it interfered not only with their way of life, not only it introduced secularism, but also, on the other hand, it uh, um, undermined their messianic project. Jews wait for Messiah that will redeem the world, that will create a harmony among nations and among people. And as one part of that universal project, Jews would be returned to the Holy Land and will live in harmony there. This is the Messianic project that many rabbis were concerned would be disrupted by uh, the Zionists taking political power and taking their faith in their hands. And uh, this, I think, is a major uh, point of disagreement between the rabbis and uh, the Zionists. Now, of course, this messianic problem became even more acute after the establishment of the State of Israel, in particular after the Six-Day War, when most ardent, most devoted, most committed Zionists were recruited from among so-called nationalist, nationalist religious circles who combined their Zionism with a rather modern interpretation of Judaism and who became the, uh, the vanguard of the settlement in the West Bank and Gaza and who are still, albeit numerically insignificant, are by far the most vocal part of Israeli society that has a project that has uh, a goal, even though I must say that the withdrawal from Gaza last year uh, dealt a very heavy blow to the national religious camp, and many of them now are coming around to recognize that perhaps those rabbis who were opposed to Zionism were right after all. For example, the, uh, the Nobel Prize in Economic, Professor Alman of Hebrew University, uh, who was awarded the prize last year, uh, said in one of his interviews that he is, he is very much opposed to the withdrawal from Gaza. And as a result, he says, perhaps those ultra-Orthodox rabbis were right after all, that this state represents not only not a step towards messianic redemption, but a, an obstacle on the way to messianic redemption. So there are a lot of people today, quite modern people, quite... Uh, very much of this world were having doubts about uh, where Zionism has led many Jews. You're listening to Chin Radio in Ottawa 97.9. Ernie Tannis and Gary Michaels. It's our cross-cultural talk program on ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution, which is the main theme of the show each and every Thursday. And joining us today, uh, two very special guests from uh, Montreal, Professor Ratkin, and uh, we also have Menachem Baum on the line with us as well. Ernie? Thank you very much. Um, um, as we go into, um, we're not going uh, to withdraw now from the, um, we're going to withdraw a bit from the history and get into some, um, some of the philosophy and current uh, challenges facing all of us. And I thank you very much, Professor Ratkin, for, for uh, that whole context. Uh, just before I, I bring in uh, Mr. Dom, I just want to ask you, Professor Rapkin, do I understand correctly that there's um, a growing, it's, it was like that from the beginning, but many non-Jews are, are involved in and um, 
promoting the continuation of this movement called Zionism. I was just said when I talk to people and um, and uh, listeners, um, you know, wonder again. Uh, you know, when we say Zionism, maybe we can repeat again what we mean by that uh, to re-educate the listeners as we go into the second segment. But what is? Um, how would you? Uh, respond to those those issues about um, uh, non-Jews being involved. When I talk to Jewish friends, one of them wouldn't come to my to your book launch with me and not really understanding what I'm starting to understand, what you're trying to say. Um, could you comment on those points, please? Uh, gladly. Well, Zionism is a national liberation movement, very much like many other liberation movements, except that it is also coupled with colonial project of settlement in another land. Uh, and that's why it causes a lot of disturbance in the region. Is it's not, it is similar to national liberation projects, say, of, of, of the Italians or of the Germans, but this project was is being carried out in a territory that is disputed, and most Jews, albeit historically thousands of years ago were connected with the Holy Land in a biblical sense, uh, they are now, their presence there, in particular their political power uh, and their domination of the region is resented by local populations. So this, I think, is the source of the conflict, because even though it is a national liberation movement, it's uh, being realized at the expense of another nation and another people. And uh, and this is the crux of of the problem, and that's why many, both Jews and non-Jews who are opposed to Zionism, say they pray for the moment that the Zionist regime will disappear from the map without violence, just like the Soviet regime disappeared from the map without violence. So uh, this is the, uh, the I repeat, the, the very simple definition of Zionism, uh, and it is connected romantically with uh, references to the Bible by uh, quite a few people. So uh, this is important to keep in mind. As far as the involvement of, of Christians, particularly born-again Christians, or what some people call fundamentalists, evangelicals, uh, this is a growing movement that exists in Canada. It's very strong in the United States. Uh, the project is involves millions of people, in fact, many more people than there are Jews in the world. Uh, these um, born-again Christians who are Christian Zionists, and there's a Christian embassy in Jerusalem, uh, these people believe that the, gather, the in-gathering of exiles, of Jewish exiles into the Holy Land, is a precondition for the second coming of Jesus. So for them, it's very important to gather the Jews on the entire territory of the Holy Land, and preferably will cleanse that territory from non-Jews. Uh, these people have rather little understanding of, of, of what actually life in Israel is, but they are religious, they're very committed, and also financially and politically very committed to, to support the most nationalist elements in Israeli society. For example, settlers in the West Bank receive enormous help from uh, these circles in the United States and in other countries. There are people in the Israeli foreign ministry that deal specifically with those evangelical groups because they constitute a major source of financial and political support in the world. At the same time, there is 
a project that the Hudson Institute in Washington, uh, a think tank that is trying to develop a Zionist ideology without Jews. How can Zionism be perpetuated in the Middle East? Because Israel is a tremendous asset for the United States, these people believe, and therefore it cannot be weakened and you cannot, re- uh, you cannot rely on Israelis to perpetuate Zionism because many of them have second thoughts. Uh, that's why the Hudson Institute comes with its own ideological project, uh, how Zionism can be perpetuated without uh, Jewish support. So uh, this support is perhaps today the major factor behind uh, the change in the foreign policy of the United States in the last uh, during the Bush administration. Uh, in fact, it may be responsible for many other acts of the United States government. And uh, when people talk about Israel lobby and the inordinate influence that lobby exercises in the United States, uh, one has to remember they're talking not about a Jewish lobby, but about an Israel lobby. And an important segment of that lobby, uh, particularly uh, as far as current administration in Washington is concerned, are Christians, are fundamentalist Christians, and uh, President Bush in particular has a very attentive ear uh, for those people. Uh, but they also exist here in Canada, and the recent change of government in Canada perhaps also s- indicates that there is a growing influence of those circles, which exist, in fact, more in Western Canada than uh, here in Quebec. I uh, I hear it said that Canada is like a little bush, a little shrub to the American bush, but uh, uh, we all have a role to play. We're all children under one God, as I believe it. And you're giving some incredible enlightenment, Professor Rapkin. I think it's going to be startling to some people. You're very courageous. It's very iconoclastic. Um, I have the great privilege and uh, and gift of being married to uh, Yumna, a Muslim, and I've met the, her whole family and the community, and they're most beautiful, loving people. So. When you start talking about this Islamophobia, which is like anti-Semitism, which is why I think there's a common element, a common ground. I think about the uh, in the core model of negotiation theory and conflict resolution theory, it's been studied and and, uh, reported that extremists at opposite ends who are, are erstwhile enemies often band together. Uh, in terms of the public education to understand that, I'm quoting now from a plot summary of a movie hiding in uh, Seeking uh, by Menachem Dom, which says uh, one of our other guests who's uh, who's on the line here. I'd like to bring him in here on this point uh, because I believe that the theater, drama, music, and so on is all f- part of the public education. Uh, it says Menachem Dom, the son of Holocaust survivors and a New York Orthodox Jew, worries that both of his sons, full-time yeshiva students who live with their families in Israel, are becoming seduced to intolerance by their religious studies. And then this quote: "All religions today are in danger of being hijacked by extremists." In a um, um, review by Roland Zwick, uh, it says it's an inspiring documentary. I'm just going to read two sentences from this, and then, Mr. Dom, I'm going to ask you to uh, maybe come in and talk about your work and the use of film. And um, It says in this review, it is a powerful, moving documentary. Hiding and Seeking gets to the heart of what religion and faith are all about, filled with laughter and tears, as well as a profound insight into the human condition. Hiding and Seeking is a rewarding and enlightening film. And I'd like to mention that I noticed that... Um, uh, the nominees were announced for the 20th Annual International Documentary Association Awards uh, some a while ago, and of course your your film was uh, in that. And so, Mr. Dom, if I could, I, I talked to you briefly this morning, and you touched my heart because I always believe we're all children of God with Jesus as mediator. Uh, would you care to uh, 
in your own way, comment on your work and the film and this discussion in any way you feel guided. Sure, thank you. First of all, I've had the privilege and pleasure of visiting your beautiful town of Ottawa at the invitation of Rabbi Bulka last summer, who showed my film to his congregants, and uh, I kind of fell in love with the beauty of your city and Wonderful. the people, and I look forward to coming back again. Thank you. Um, it, my, my film, basically, as, I, as you said before, I mean, uh, I, I, my, my sons have spent many years in yeshivot, in the very insular kind of high schools of higher education, which in which they have very little interaction with the outside world, and focus all their efforts on understanding the text which in and of itself is, is a good thing, but like all things, religion can be used for both good and for evil, for building bridges between people or creating barriers. <clears throat> and in every religion, there are all kinds of teachers. There are teachers who see the universal message of their religion or who only see it as a very tribal one. And I was very concerned about the kind of direction my adult sons were uh, taking, and I, I, I felt that um, I had to do something about it, even though they were already adults and had families. Maybe I had missed my opportunity when they were younger. So I come from this, I'm sort of the, the child of Holocaust survivors from Poland, and uh, when they left Poland, they left with a great animosity towards Poles. In fact, their animosity towards Poles, I would say, was even greater than towards the German perpetrators. And um, we grew up on how stories of how terrible the Poles had been to Jews. And yet I knew that my father-in-law, my wife's father, had been saved and hidden for 28 months by Polish farmers, and nobody had been in touch with them for 60 years after the war. So I decided that we're going to take a trip to Poland, and I took my sons and wife, and in the hope that maybe even after 60 years we might be able to find these exemplars of decency and goodness and uh, I wanted my sons to sh show them that basically the ability to choose goodness doesn't isn't a monopoly that we Jews have, but that even in the darkest days of the Holocaust, even in Poland, there could be people who, despite everything that was going on, would be willing to risk their lives for goodness. And uh, uh, we were skating on thin ice. I, I, we didn't script the film. We didn't research it beforehand. I had no idea what we would find, but... I had a sense that we were being guided. There was some divine providence leading us to, you know, uh, I, I always quote Alfred Hitchcock. He says that in a fiction film, he says the director is, is God. I'm sorry, <laughs> yes, but, but he says in a documentary, he says God is the director. <laughs> and I felt that in some way God guided this film. And I, 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 and people, when I show this film, I'll be showing it here in Montreal this evening. I mean, some people in the audience, particularly Holocaust survivors, sometimes get very upset about message that, you know, that um, you can find decency in all people, even in, in the polls that they remember. And they ask, does that extend to the Palestinians as well? And I say, sure, we, we, the essence of our religious teaching is that there was one God who created one world that created, inscribed us with a divine image, and that makes us all connected. We can't lose sight of that. Well, th well I'm very sympathetic. I had, a few weeks ago, I, I had to Rabbi, Professor Rapkin sent me a note. He had seen my film and mentioned his book, which I read. <clears throat> and I, really, to me, it was an eye-opening book. I highly recommend it to people. It, it touched a lot of elements that I was familiar with, but had never coalesced into one solid scholarly position that unified all these. And, uh, you know, I knew there were two points of view about Zionism, but I hadn't realized the extent to which Zionism represents a real departure of 2,000 years of 
Jewish pacifism and uh, sort of acceptance of our position in the exile as being loyal citizens and of the countries in which we reside, and waiting for God to 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 fulfill His messianic plan, <clears throat> and therefore to me it was uh, both familiar but eye-opening, and um, and I didn't realize that this opposition was not just from the Orthodox um, Jews who had objected to Zionism for the last century, but even from the denominations that were much more liberal. The Reform also had strong, strong oppositions to Zionism. The Reform Jews, even though they interpreted the Torah very differently than Orthodox Jews, but nonetheless the basis for their Jewish identity was the Jewish religion and not a Jewish flag or a Jewish language or a Jewish land. So, to me, Professor Rapkin's book is very, I highly recommend it to Jews and non-Jews to, to look at, because unfortunately we blur the distinctions between Judaism and Zionism and Jews and Israelis, and I think that is detrimental to all involved. Special program on Chin Radio with uh, Ernie Tannis and Gary Michaels on this Thursday afternoon. Our special guests with us uh, via phone from uh, Montreal are Professor Rapkin and uh, Menachem Dom. And uh, Ernie Tannis uh, is, uh, of course, co-hosting the program. Mr. Dom, I have a quick question for you. Uh, first of all, how long is the film? Uh, the film is, uh, is about 85 minutes. It was shown nationally on, on American public television. I don't know if you get PBS in uh, Ottawa. But the, yes, we do. Um, and uh, hopefully it will be shown again. I, it won the North American uh, Interfaith Media Award for the Best Interfaith Film of 2004 because, in a way, it, it's about bringing Poles and Catholics, Jews and I mean, Jews, Polish Catholics, and Holocaust survivor Jews together and kind of getting past their differences. I, I continue to work with Polish youngsters in, in Poland in an attempt to bring about some sort of Polish-Jewish reconciliation, which is more symbolic because there are very few Jews living in Poland. I think it's much more important to bring about a reconciliation in, in, in the Holy Land. Um, but nonetheless, I think uh, the idea that we, whatever reconciliation form takes, uh, we, we have to remind ourselves of our that we all come from the same source and the same maker. One, one more quick question before I turn it back to Ernie. You, you mentioned that when you went back to Poland, you took your sons with you. Uh, how, did, uh, how did they feel about that? Uh, you know, I, I, it's like planting a seed. You know, you, you, you plant a seed and you hope it's suddenly, uh, you know, but, but you've got to give it time. Um, I, I think that, in a way, I, I begin to, uh, to... One of my sons, I'll be honest, sort of was so threatened by the experience that he sort of returned to his insular world with a kind of a almost a vengeance. And uh, I'm not so sure where that's going to lead. My other son is, I believe, uh, more thoughtful. His response is basically that if he, if he wants to create a sort of viable Orthodox Judaism that speaks to intelligent young people, it can't be a tribal Judaism. It has to be a Judaism that has respect and a place for all peoples. So the reaction has been mixed, and um, I continue to... I'm, I'm, right now, what I'm most concerned in is the souls and the, the education of my grandchildren and how they're going to be raised. And when I was a kid, a uh, long, long time ago, we, we had textbooks and things which weren't written by Jews, and, you know, had um, Dick and Sally, and, you know, they weren't wearing yarmulkes, and they were, didn't look Hasidic, but we recognized our common humanity. And today, unfortunately, my grandchildren's books are all about... Shlemy and Moshe and Chavala and sort of 
their 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 you know, sense of connectedness to the rest of mankind is, is is really being threatened by the education, and so I continue to be a critic of this kind of education. Well, you know, education. I I, uh, I love the word education. I think it's knowledge from within, and I, I, I use the word respect, Mr. Dom. I think uh, I know we here, and I'm sure our listeners are going to respect both of you. Um, I'm struck by the humility, and if I use the right word, the chutzpah, about this kind of courageous discussion. Um, I'm wondering in the last few moments of this segment, Professor uh, Rapkin, and uh, and please, Mr. Baum, you could um, add your thoughts on this, but I'm, I'd like to uh, look at a vision for the future and what you're really facing as, uh, as you go around the world with Professor Rapkin with your book, um, and Try to Enlighten People, uh, and uh, Mr. Baum, Dom does the same thing with his films, but in the end of your book, Um, You say, many readers feel that this book vindicates Judaism, too often confused with Jewish nationalism. Um, Including in the Arabic, there's some work that says this should reduce anti-Jewish sentiment produced by the Middle East conflict. On the other hand, you say, there are people offended by this very topic. You should not provide ammunition to the enemy. Do not wash our dirty laundry in public. Um, those those two uh, those comments and I just before you answer that I just want to quote the last sentence from Joseph Agassi, professor of philosophy, Tel Aviv University, fellow of the Royal Society of Canada, in the foreword of the book, where he writes, um, "One not one need not be religious in order to protest the exploitation by Israel of religious concepts. I am not religious and I'm not part of the current fad to find fault with Zionism and its history, but as an Israeli patriot and a philosopher, I find it imperative to make Judaic." anti-Zionism, a part of the badly needed debate about Israel's past, present, and future. Professor Rabbi, would you comment then on this philosophy, the future, your hope for the future, and your sense of these themes as we move in a very dangerous and complicated world, as brothers and sisters, we say, together? I think there is hope, uh, because uh, I've received overwhelmingly positive response from uh, Jews and non-Jews, from many Muslims. Uh, you were at the launch in Ottawa where one Muslim said that my book had cured him of his racism, anti-Jewish racism. Yes. And I think that uh, this is something that is perhaps the, great, the greatest challenge that faces all of us, Jews, Christians, or Muslims, is to show to all of us that Religion should not be confused with nationalist aspirations, however legitimate they may be. And incidentally, uh, I like Israeli society. I like many features of it. And my book, in fact, was written largely in Israel and definitely conceived there. And in fact, uh, it's being received there also very well. So I think that uh, the question is not whether one is opposed to something, but... Uh, to open up our vistas, to open up our views, to come out of our parochialism, all the while keeping our specificity and our particular way of worshiping God. I think this is private matter. How we worship God is not something that should be, in my opinion, exhibited, and definitely should never be uh, politically pilated into some kind of entitlement. And this is happening, unfortunately, uh, on a large scale today. A religion provides people with entitlement, be it entitlement of some, uh, say, right-wing Christians in the United States that they think that the white man's burden is on their shoulders and they have to 
export their way of life uh, across the globe. I think what uh, Menachem and uh, myself, we are trying to export around the globe is uh, a better understanding of what Judaism is, what challenges it faces, and how it can be reconciled uh, with other religions in the world. I repeat, we are not talking, I'm speaking on my behalf, I'm not attacking anyone. My book is a, a book of history, but it does open, apparently, it does open eyes, and uh, this, for me, is the most gratifying uh, part of action I have received. Of course, we can say that some people don't like their dirty laundry to be uh, washed in public, but it's not even washed in private either. Uh, so, in fact, uh, many of those people are more concerned about the unity of the ranks rather than about uh, not about others learning about these uh, conflicts within Jewish communities. So, I think that by and large. It's a very rewarding reaction that I've been receiving. The book, without any PR campaign or any big company behind me, has been translated into seven languages by now, and uh, this indicates that it says something which people want to hear, and I have not seen yet that my book has been used uh, for Israel bashing, for Jew bashing. In fact, uh, I remember one person told me that the book is a hymn to Judaism. I did not write it as a hymn to Judaism, but if it is so, I am very pleased. And finally, as you you began this interview with a quote from the back cover of my book, there is another, the shortest blurb on the back cover, by uh, Cardinal Gottfried Daniels of Belgium, who finds that my book helps diffuse anti-Jewish violence. And I think uh, that uh, this, for me is a very important statement. If anything that diffuses violence is worth in itself. Well, this... Um, you've reduced very big issues into very understandable language, and I was there at your book launch, and I find that you spoke very respectfully to your biggest challenger in the audience. Um, I find that you are both pointing the way, not pointing a finger. Um, I'm <clears throat> really touched, and I'd like to, uh, we have a few minutes left, and I'd like both of you to uh, comment on this oneness that we have, the common ground in ADR, conflict resolution, is always to find that common ground. We have in Ottawa, which you say, Mr. Dom, is a beautiful city. In fact, it's, it's considered one of the best in the world. We have a multi-faith community here with the mayor, Bob Shirelli, to help put that together. Uh, you mentioned Rabbi Boko. We have great religious leaders here of all faiths, including Rabbi Fine, who's working with a leading imam on a Jewish-Muslim dialogue for the next generation for better understanding. There's many associations being formed everywhere in terms of finding those, that common ground together. Um, <clears throat> you say, it says in, one, in, in this review that the Dom Sun's perspective widened a bit to allow for good Gentiles. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it, but in the context of my understanding, a, a good Jewish friend has called me a righteous Gentile. I heard that God created Gentiles because somebody has to pay retail, but that's beside the point. Uh, One of the features, uh, the the rabbis featured in my film is Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. He was a Hasidic folk singer and who really showed me the way of being connected to all of God's children, including Poles. And uh, he he would say that, you know, 
God gave me two eyes, two ears, two hands, two two legs, but he only gave me one heart. Yes. He said, if you would have given me two hearts, okay, I'd use one to love and one to hate. But he only gave me one heart, and I'm not going to poison it with hatred. And when we teach our children hatred, that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're poisoning their hearts. And uh, that's the thing that we have to be very, very careful of. And I would like to add uh, something from uh, the chief rabbi of Great Britain, Rabbi Sachs, who put it very succinctly. Self-righteousness and righteousness are mutually exclusive. That is a um, very provocative and stimulating thought. This whole program has been stimulating. I really uh, hope and believe that you both have found this to be a very good use of a very, very valuable time. You you made me think of the what I've learned from the Aboriginal peoples uh, they said, well, God gave us two eyes, two ears, and only one mouth. So before we talk, we should listen and we should look. And it takes two to speak the truth, Thoreau said, one to speak and one to listen. And I'm really glad that our listeners had a chance to listen to both of you. It's been a wonderful, inspirational uh, time together with both of you. I wish you well on your film tonight and Professor Rapkin on your tour. May God guide your journeys and may we all find that common ground that you are helping us together in this uh, world as we go forward. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you. Thank you both again for uh, spending the time with us here on Chin in Ottawa. And uh, if ever you uh, visit uh, the nation's capital again, make sure you pop by. We'll make sure that the coffee's on for you. Hey, Roberto, what's going on, man? What you been up to? Noah, I've been all over the world. First, I arrived in Asia. Then I lived it up in Lebanon. Cuba was cool. Then I kicked back in the Caribbean. How did you pay for all this? I didn't. I just turned on Chin Radio 97.9. They bring me everywhere I want to go and so much more. Shot to be in association with Chin Radio 97.9 FM presents McKenny back by the Calais Band. Live in concert featuring Peary and the legendary Burundian Claret. Special appearance by exquisite and the nitty gritty dance groups. A night to remember. Compa, Saturday, June 10th, 151 Laurier Avenue. Admission for adults, $15. Children under 12, $10. $20 at the door. For a family package, call 260-8158. Tickets available at most West Indian outlets. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. Compa! Some of the most law-abiding people are unknowingly breaking the law every day. Not for robbery or speeding or assault but simply because they don't have working smoke alarms in their homes. The law requires you to have one on every story and outside all sleeping areas. If you don't, you could receive a ticket for $235 or a fine of up to $25,000. And that's a very alarming thought. So make sure you have working smoke alarms in your home. A message from the Fire Marshal of Ontario. You could win a brand new Chevy Cobalt LS. Click on to chinradio.com for details. We're celebrating our differences on
true Funny how it seems Always in time But never in line For dreams Head over heels When toe to toe This is the sound Of my soul This is the sound I bought a ticket To the world But now I've come back again I find it hard to write the next line I want the truth to be said I know this much is true With a thrill in my head And a pill on my tongue Dissolving the nerves That just begun Listening to Ella From my hands Sands of time Of its own I find it hard To write the next line I want the truth To be known I know this Much I know this much is true. It's true. I bought a ticket to the world. But now I've come back again Finding it hard to write the next line I want the truth to be said I know this I know this much is This much is